Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Wrestling from the Crowd. My name is Ray, and this is episode 7. Now, we are on track for 300 total downloads so far of the Wrestling from the Crowd podcast. I just want to take the time to say thank you to those who are still subscribed, to those who are still following me, to those who are still downloading. I really appreciate the hard work and the effort that you guys are putting to support my content, so thank you very much for that. I know it's a little late. I think it's as I'm recording this, it's Monday. Uh, I've had a lot go on in this past week, so it kind of set me back a little bit to drop the episode on Sunday. So now I'm going to give you this podcast on Monday, but I'm going to try to go back to a regular scheduled program once everything is solved. So just bear with me again. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Wrestling From, or you can follow me on Facebook at Ray Colazzo. You can ask me anything. We can talk about anything. I've had a lot of requests of people who want to be on the podcast, so that's pretty good. I mean, I guess I'm getting some somewhere I guess uh you know uh, eventually I'll start having guests when I become a little more better at my uh my craft and maybe get a better setup other than that we'll just keep it to myself for now but eventually I want to branch off and have guests and have other people to talk with on the podcast as well so we know how this podcast start we're gonna start off with raw raw opens up with Randy Orton he says 2020 is the year of McIntyre he agrees with that he says he pinned Drew who hasn't been pinned in a year. He says he'll pin Drew again at Hell in a Cell. I think we're going to see Randy Orton finally take this title from him. This feud has been going on for so long. I don't think we're going to see Randy Orton lose three times in a row to Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre then comes out says Orton had the chance to put it away but he decided to gloat. Then Drew rushes to the ring to fight Orton. Both men then brawl it on the ring. Then the fight spills to the outside. Drew ends up slamming him onto the announce table. When he rolls him back in the ring Randy Orton just slithers away and avoids the danger from Drew McIntyre. So, like I said, do we want to see Randy Orton become a world champion again? Do we want to see Drew McIntyre beat Randy Orton three times in a row? I don't know. They can go in any direction. Maybe, like he said, it is the year of Drew McIntyre. Do they want to drop the title off McIntyre right now? I don't think it's the best decision, but eventually Randy Orton's going to get his world title. We see Stephanie McMahon again. We've seen her on Friday Night Smackdown last week talk about the draft picks. Well, the draft continues, and this is the first round of picks so the first round we've seen the fiend go to raw so we knew this was coming i think i sensed this a long time ago and with the fiend coming we know alexa bliss will follow later after that we've seen smackdown keep bailey Raw kept Randy Orton. SmackDown got the Street Profits. I called this. I said it. With the New Day moving to Raw, they had no choice but to move the Street Profits to SmackDown. Then we see Raw keep Charlotte Flair. We know we haven't seen Charlotte Flair on TV for a while, but I think she's due to come back. After that, we've seen Aleister Black versus Kevin Owens in a no disqualification match. We've seen KO rush to the ring, and then both men begin to brawl, which led to the fight heading to the outside. We've seen some early pin attempts in the match. We also seen Black took control for Ben until Owens countered an Irish whip into the barricade. Then he cannonballed Aleister Black onto the barricade. Owens then attempted a powerbomb on Black who countered. Owen then tries to jump off the barricade but Black slams him onto the announce desk. So, so far these two are having a brutal match. These two are having a better match than we've seen in a long time from these guys which I'm really happy to see that they're giving these guys a little more incentive there in their matches. We then see Aleister Black leg sweep Owens onto a chair to stay in control. Owens then tries 
tries to fight back, but he ends up taking a kick to the head from Aleister Black. We've seen Black try to knee Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens uses a chair to block his knee attack and DDTs Black onto the chair to take control. Now, during this match, we've seen both men really fight for control. This match was a lot longer than I expected, and it was a lot better than I expected. We've seen both men then fight from the top rope. Owens gets knocked off, and Aleister Black gives a meteora through the chairs, but we see Aleister Black get a near fall. Then the fight spills to the outside. We see Aleister Black then try to deliver a black mass on Kevin Owens on the outside, but Owens ends up dodging and Black kicks the ring post. Then Owens rolls him into the ring, gives him a stunner, then power bombs Black onto the table to pick up the win. So with this match, I thought it was a really good start to Raw. Now I wonder, does the feud end there? Will we see Aleister Black and Kevin Owens continue this feud? Was this match to end the feud? I'm not really sure about that. I feel like eventually they're going to have to end it, but I think for now they're going to keep it going. This was probably one of the better matches they had in a long time, so I'm glad that they had this really good match. After that, the draft continues. We see Raw take Braun Strowman. We knew that was going to happen, seeing Braun Strowman on Raw on the ground for so many weeks in a row, and him knocking out Daba Kato in 20 seconds. So we knew that was coming. SmackDown keeps Daniel Bryan. So now we're going to see Daniel Bryan return to the Thunderdome on SmackDown. Raw picks up Matt Riddle. SmackDown takes Kevin Owens, and Raw takes Jeff Hardy. So now we see Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles back again on the same brand. Are they going to reignite this feud? Are they going to keep that feud going? I thought it was going to be done on SmackDown. Well, now when you think about it, Sami Zayn will probably now be rid of both of them. So now he has no worries for from AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy. After that, we've seen Miz TV featuring Mandy Rhodes and Dana Brooke. We learned that Mandy Rhodes and Dana Brooke are now really officially a tag team. They even get tag music. And now they're trying to figure out a name to call themselves. Asuka's been calling them the sexy muscle friends. So I guess they can stick with that, but I don't know how they want to be portrayed as. Do they want to be portrayed as a joke tag team or a real tag team? Like I said, I still don't like the idea of Mandy Rose being a part of a tag team. But we see Mandy say that Miz was petty that because of Otis, he had to move Mandy Rhodes over to Raw just so he can get at Otis. Miz tries to stir up the pot between Mandy and Dana talking about Sonya Deville and how that didn't go so well. And can you really trust Mandy, you know, since she does things to her friends? We see Natalia and Lana interrupt. They say, why aren't they being interviewed? Lana says, if you wanted to talk about drama, she has two ex-husbands and a girlfriend. So the fact that they're having Lana say that shows that Lana has been put through a lot. You know, Lana's been put through a table like every week so far on Raw. We've seen her marry two guys, including her real husband, Rusev, also known as Miro now. We've seen her have a wedding with Bobby Lashley. And then the whole, um, what's her name? The, the Liv Morgan. And there we go. We've seen her have a little angle with her talking about she was her secret lover the whole time. So Lana has been in some really dumb segments. We see Mandy say if Lana spent less time on TikTok, maybe she would be better and win a match. Then a brawl starts. But before we get to that, I have to just take a second because I actually agree with Mandy. We see Lana always on TikTok, always dancing, always doing these things. And you never see her really in a wrestling ring. People say, oh, maybe you should just give her a chance. Maybe she should focus more on her craft. And that's what Mandy's saying. If we haven't seen Lana on TikTok a lot, we would see her actually be a better wrestler. She needs to take the time and devote it to her craft. If she wants to be a wrestler, shouldn't you show it? Like, I don't think she's showing that she wants to be a wrestler. But Mandy's correct, and I feel like Lana needs to have that reality check if she wants to be a WWE superstar. So we see that brawl come to an end, and both women teams leave. Then we see The Miz say Morrison is his next special guest. Then we hear the music.
music of Lars Sullivan. We see The Miz and John Morrison stand their ground. They weren't going anywhere. But as soon as Lars Sullivan gets in a ring, we see The Miz then run off. Lars Sullivan then begins to attack Morrison. We see Miz do the same thing that John Morrison did to him on Friday Night Smackdown, where, you know, he grabbed at his legs but wasn't really pulling. And then as soon as Lars Sullivan grabbed Morrison, The Miz just left it alone and he just left Morrison to get destroyed. After that, we've seen the Street Profits and the New Day exchange titles. Then Rude and Ziggler say they deserve a title shot and the new Raw Tag Team Champions give them a title shot. So now that we have the Street Profits as your new SmackDown Champions and the New Day as your new Raw Tag Team Champions and they did beat uh, the Street Profits, I believe they did. No, I don't think they did. They? Yes, they beat the Street Profits because of Randy Orton. But since, you know, the Street Profits are now moving to SmackDown, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler can't face them anymore because they're not on the same brand. So the draft continues. Raw drafts Retribution. SmackDown gets Lars Sullivan. Raw keeps Keith Lee. SmackDown keeps King Corbin. And Raw gets Alexa Bliss. Like I said before, we knew this was going to happen. They weren't just going to drop that story just because of trade. They were going to move her with him because that is the that's the storyline they're going with. Now we see Rollins get his farewell. He comes out in his gear and not a suit, which I was surprised. I was like, is something going to happen where he's going to have a match? He says tonight is the end of an era. He says we're losing a champion, a man who slayed a beast, a man who slayed monsters as well. He was the greatest leader. Then he asks, can anyone on the roster fill the void? He says no one can. Then we see Jeff Hardy come out. Rollins says he was looking for a leader and it's not Hardy. Rollins says to Hardy, he has to face Lars Sullivan on SmackDown. Then Rollins leaves. Then Styles comes out, you know, because now Styles is on Raw. We see him and Rollins, like, point fingers at each other, like, ah, you know, you're the guy, and now I'm going to take over. And then AJ Styles says, this was never Monday Night Rollins. Then Seth walks back and confronts AJ Styles. Then Jeff Hardy attacks both of them and challenges them to a triple threat match. Now, I thought this segment was pretty funny, not because of anything, but because Jeff Hardy, when he announced the match, he announced it as a triple threat tag team match, and I was like, what's the point of having having a triple threat tag team match with all of you guys. Where are you guys going to find partners so quickly? And then when they cut back to commercial, well, cut back from commercial, it was a triple threat match. So I thought it was pretty funny that he messed up the match. So now we have ourselves an impromptu triple threat match between AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and Seth Rollins. AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy started off the fight. Then Rollins gets involved. Then they team up on Jeff to have a little alliance until we see AJ Styles break that alliance by rolling up Seth Rollins. Uh, Styles ends up getting back control we see Rollins push Hardy off the turnbuckle and then attack Styles he tries to go for a knee but Styles dodges Rollins then hits a suicide dive on Hardy then he goes back in the ring and him and Styles exchange strikes Styles falls out the ring and Rollins hits a suicide dive on both men taking control of the match so we know that these men can put on really good matches like Seth Rollins and AJ Styles I know if they went one-on-one it would be a really amazing match because those two guys give you everything they have Jeff Hardy he can still give you good matches even though he does move like he's broken and I think that's what slows Hardy down all those bumps all those things he took back in the past and now really affected the way he moved but Rollins and AJ Styles I want them to go one-on-one eventually and I want them to put on a hell of a match we see Hardy then wipe out both men with the whisper in the wind to regain control when we come back from commercial break we see Styles attempt a Styles clash but Rollins hit a flying knee then he gives a falcon arrow to Styles for a near fall then 
sets up for the curb stomp, but Hardy leaps off AJ's back to hit a DDT, and then he tries to go for a swanton, but he was intercepted by AJ Styles. Rollins then joins and catches AJ Styles in a calf crusher. We see Jeff Hardy then go to the top rope for a swanton bomb. He ends up hitting it on Seth Rollins. We see Jeff Hardy then get pushed out the ring by AJ Styles, who tried to steal the win, but didn't. Jeff Hardy then makes his way back into the ring. He hits a twist of fate on AJ Styles, and then we see him get hit with a guitar from a returning Elias. So now we see Elias is back from injury, and he interfered in this match, costing Jeff Hardy the match, and AJ Styles ends up picking the win. So now this was, I guess, the way they wanted to end the feud between AJ and Jeff Hardy. Now I guess they're going to move on to AJ Styles doing something else, and Jeff Hardy now will feud with Elias because I'm sure that this is the direction they want to go. I'm sure if they wanted Elias to come back and feud with AJ Styles or Seth Rollins eventually, he would have hit them instead of Jeff Hardy. So now prepare yourself for a Jeff Hardy versus Elias feud. Now the draft continues. We see Elias go to Raw. So this confirms the feud between Jeff Hardy and Elias. We see Sami Zayn go to SmackDown. I don't know why he was drafted so late. He's a champion. He should have been drafted early because they want to protect their champion. But you know, they like to crap on Sami Zayn and you know, eventually he's going to have something to say about that. We see Raw pick up Lacey Evans. We see SmackDown pick up Cesaro Nakamura and Raw pick up Sheamus. So Sheamus goes over from the blue brand to the red brand. Next, we see Natalia and Lana versus Mandy Rhodes and Dana Brooke. I'm not going to go into detail about this match like I am with the other matches because this was a pretty short match. But I want to point out in this match, I've seen that Mandy Rhodes still does not need to be a tag team. I will say this as many times as I need to. She was a star of this match. She didn't even need Dana Brooke. She showed out in this match on her own, and which is why hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they take her away from this little tag team BS that they're giving. We've seen Mandy and Dana end up picking up the win. After the match, we've seen Natalia break it off with Lana, so there's no more boat, no more anything between them. Thank God. I'm glad they killed that segment. I'm glad they killed that storyline between them. It was terrible, and I was not for it. So thank you, WWE, for knocking that story off. After that, we see a backstage segment with the Hurt Business. They're talking about Retribution. Then we see Ricochet come up and challenge to one last match. So he's talking to Hurt Business. He's like, listen, I want this beef to be over. I see Apollo. If he goes to SmackDown, I don't have anybody. Mustafa Ali already left to Retribution. So I have nobody. I'm alone. So I'll fight you guys one last time. And if I win, you guys leave me alone. If you guys win, I'll join the Hurt Business. And we see Cedric Alexander. He laughs and then he steps up to take that challenge. Now, if we see Ricochet lose this match, I'll be surprised. But we all know the outcome. We all know he's going to win. They're not going to let him join the Hurt Business. He's obviously going to win this match. But like I said, anything can happen. But if, if he does end up joining the Hurt Business, it's interesting to see. But most of us who've been watching WWE for a long time knows how their storylines are going to turn out. And this is one of those storylines we know how it's going to turn out. The next match on Raw, we see Angel Garza versus Andrade. Now, we know that they were a tag team. Uh, when Angel Garza got hurt, they split off for a little bit just to tend to Angel Garza's injury. We also see Zelina Vega on commentary. Both men start off by shoving and chopping each other. Andrade begins 
begins to attack Angel Garza's injury. Garza then fights off Andrade with a super kick. Then Andrade retakes control. Now, this is the part that turns the match. He gets distracted and he tells Delina that this is for her. So when he rolls Angel Garza into the ring, he's still kind of distracted. He rolls in and ends up getting his wings clipped by Angel Garza. And well, you know, I, I kind of thought of that because it's Angel Garza's finisher, the wing clipper. I think that's what it's called. So to say that he got his wing clipped, that thought was pretty clever. But um, we see Garza pick up the win. So it's kind of interesting to see if Andrade would stay on Raw or will he go to SmackDown? Uh, I think he'll be, a, I think he's a free agent right now. So hopefully he gets uh, up in the air somewhere. After the match, we've seen the Fiend's music play. The lights go off. When they turn on the lights, Bliss is in the corner doing Bray Wyatt's signature pose. She's holding onto the ropes and bending backwards. Then we see Andrade turn around and next thing you know, the Fiend is right behind him. Then we see the Fiend and Alexa Bliss grab Andrade and Zelina Vega at the same time and deliver stereo sister Abigail's to both of them. So I thought this was a fantastic segment. Like I've been saying for a long time, I love this storyline. I love where it's going. I like that Alexa Bliss is taking that mantle as sister Abigail. And I think she's doing a hell of a job. And I hope that she wins... Uh, the world championship soon for for Raw. You know, she needs to take it off Asuka. Let's put it on her. She should be the focal point with what she's doing now. After that, the draft continues. We see Raw get Nikki Cross. So now Nikki Cross is on the same brand as Alexa Bliss. We see SmackDown get Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. So with them losing tonight to the New Day, now they move over back to SmackDown. So I'm sure that Street Profit, Dolph Ziggler, Roode rivalry will continue. Raw gets R-Truth. SmackDown gets Apollo Crews. So Ricochet was right. Now he's all alone. And if he doesn't win this match, he'll be a part of the Hurt Business. And if he does, they'll leave him alone. And, you know, he won't have to fend for himself anymore. We also see Raw get Daba Kato. Uh, we seen Daba Kato on Raw Underground. He lost to Braun Strowman in like 30 seconds to knockout. So to me, he doesn't have that much value because he lost to Braun Strowman that quickly. And he was supposed to be betrayed as this dominant big men and we didn't really see that when he fought Braun Strowman so I mean it depends how they start him is he gonna be like a little manager or not a manager but a bodyguard for somebody that's probably the best way that I can think of uh booking this guy other than that I don't see any other way to book him after that we've seen the New Day versus Dolph Ziggler and Robert Root now I mentioned that they lost already um so I'm just gonna like jump to the the end the end point of the match uh we've seen Ziggler take Kofi Kingston off the turnbuckle to prevent the tag he tries to Irish whip Kofi into the steps, but he leaps over, then he leaps back, taking out Dolph Ziggler. Then he gets a blind tag on Woods, then they end up hitting the midnight hour on Robert Roode, who didn't see the tag. So we see the New Day retain. We obviously knew they were going to retain, seeing that Ziggler and Roode were moved to SmackDown before this match. So now it's interesting to see who's next for the New Day. What tag teams are on Raw? Let's think about that for a second. Raw only has Ivar and Eric, the Viking Raiders, who are both injured and won't be back for some time. They just acquired Miz and Morrison. They have Grand Medley and Lindsay Dorado. And they have the Hurt Business. They also have Andrade and Angel, but Andrade wasn't drafted at all, so he's technically a free agent, so we could see him move over to SmackDown. They don't really have much guys deserving of the tag team titles besides the Viking Raiders, but they're injured. And maybe Miz and Morrison, but other than that, I don't see anyone taking those titles off the New Day for a while. I don't even think SmackDown has that many tag teams anymore. They have the Street Profits, they have Cesaro Nakamura, they have Ziggler Rude. They don't have Tucker and Otis no more because they're broken up. The, the tag team division in WWE's main shows are just 
dwindling and they need to get some new teams going on these shows because if not they're just going to be having the same champions over and over again and i think people will get tired of seeing that eventually he had a backstage segment with elias he talked about his return and why he attacked jeff hardy he says if all of you forgot jeff hardy tried to take him out with the car we all know it wasn't jeff hardy who hit elias with the car it was clearly sheamus but he mentions that he knows who did it, but he still wants revenge on Jeff Hardy, who tried to send him up to the big stage, which, you know, he tried to meant heaven. You know, we all knew what he meant. But, you know, it's a stupid reason to attack him, because if you knew who the attacker was, what's the point of you targeting Jeff Hardy? So, I don't understand, but we already know there's a feud going to happen between them. He also says that next week, we'll celebrate his return. So, I'm sure that's where they'll kick off this feud next week at Elias' big return. The next match on the card we see was Cedric Alexander versus Ricochet. Now, both men start this match by hitting each other with running forearms. We've seen a more aggressive Cedric after he got a near fall. So, I guess the, the effect that the Hurt Business has on Cedric, it makes him more angry, more aggressive. You know, since they're all about the money and power... Cedric's not about the happy moments, the funny stuff anymore. So, I like I said before, I like aggressive Cedric. We've seen MVP then tell Cedric to smack Ricochet. And then he does. He smacks, like, the piss out of him. Like, that was a suit. Like, it was like a New Japan smack. You know how they be having super open hand smacks? That was an open hand smack. Ricochet then uh, exchanged shots with Cedric Alexander. Cedric then gets dazed by a kick. Ricochet then runs at Cedric, who then hits him with a Michinoku driver and pins Ricochet. But when Ricochet kicks out, the force pushes Cedric into the referee. And while the referee is out of play, MVP tries to take advantage and slide a chair to Cedric, which Ricochet intercepts. It looks as Ricochet is going to use the chair, but he doesn't. He ends up seeing the ref get up, and he pulls an Eddie Guerrero to win the match via disqualification. So we see Ricochet slam the chair on the mat, and then pretend like Cedric Alexander hit him with the chair after he threw it to him. So I thought it was a funny way to end the match. So now we see the Hurt Business, it has to leave Ricochet alone, and Ricochet won't be joining the Hurt Business. We knew it was going to happen. I called it. Like if, like I said, if you know storylines from WWE, you knew exactly what was going to happen. After that, the drafts continue. We see Raw draft Titus O'Neil. SmackDown got Carmella. Raw got Peyton Royce. SmackDown now has Aleister Black. So we see Aleister Black and Kevin Owens back on the same brand once again. Raw gets Akira Tozawa. Kalisto gets drafted to SmackDown. Shorty G gets drafted to SmackDown. SmackDown, and as I stated earlier, Lince Dorado and Grand Mentalik are now on Raw officially. Now we move on to the main event of the evening, the cross-brand Battle Royale. The winner of this match will go on to face Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship. The Battle Royale started with Nia Jax cutting a little promo in front of all the women. She says she's going to win the Battle Royale, either it'll be her or Shayna. Then all the women start attacking them. Throughout the match, we've seen Nia and Tamina start to stare off. But but then they see Lana and they attack Lana. After that, they go for a hug and Nia just throws Tamina over the rope. And then Billy Kay tries to toss over Nia, but Nia ends up flipping her over the rope. So we see Nia be dominant in this battle royale. We knew she was going to be dominant. She's always the dominant ones in the battle royale. Nia helps Shayna then eliminate Dana and Mandy. So no Dana and Mandy fighting Asuka. Then everyone begins to attack Nia and try to eliminate 
her. Then Shayna helps them eliminate Nia, who then gets furious and puts Lana through a table. So we've seen Shayna turn on her partner and then Nia put Lana through another table again for like the fifth time in a row. Then for some reason they pan to the back to show Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre fighting again in the back. Then we see Nikki Cross get eliminated by Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce by Natalia. Bianca Belair eliminates Shayna Baszler. The Riot Squad then eliminates Baszler. But then we see the Riot Squad get eliminated by Lacey and Natalia. So we've seen a lot of quick eliminations. We then see Lacey Evans and Natalia fighting on the apron. Natalia then eliminates Lacey. The bell doesn't ring. Then you see Lana eliminate Natalia to win a championship opportunity against Asuka. So we see Lana, who's been put through tables for weeks, who's been crapped on for a long time, finally get a championship opportunity. Does she deserve it? No. Do I want to see it? No. Do I care about it? No. I think they just needed something to do. And let me point out, Alexa Bliss was supposed to be in this match, but she wasn't. So I, that was my pick. I was like, okay, I didn't hear the bell. Now I'm about to hear the Fiend's music play, and I'm about to see Natalia get eliminated by Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss will now face Asuka. Nope, no Alexa Bliss tonight, but she was advertised for this match. Then we see Orton and Drew McIntyre, their fight spilled to the outside. We see them fighting around the ring, and then the officials break it up. So the fight spilled to the outside. We know that Drew McIntyre said anytime that they're in the same building, they're going to fight, and he's living up to that. So I know every Monday we're going to see them fight about a thousand times. So that ends Raw. I want to mention that we were supposed to see a segment with Ali talking about why he joined Retribution, but I guess that segment was scrapped for this week. Maybe they'll show it next week. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they scrapped that segment. But Raw this week was okay. The draft picks was pretty obvious. Some of them were, you know, waste. But uh, overall, Raw was okay this week. I didn't think it was a bad Raw. They had okay matches. The match of the night to me was Kevin Owens and Aleister Black. And um, the triple threat match between uh, Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Seth Rollins. I thought that was a really good match. Now we're going to move on to NXT UK. NXT UK this week kicked off with the Heritage Cup Tournament. We've seen Dave Mastiff versus Joseph Connors. In round one, we see both men feeling each other out, but no one was able to take control. They went the distance of three minutes. We've seen in round two, Dave Mastiff picks up the pace at the start. The second round was all Mastiff, but he wasn't able to pick up a victory then. We head into round three, where Dave Mastiff and Joseph Connors, their exchange strikes, and Dave Mastiff ends up knocking out Joseph Connors to pick up the win in the third round. So we see Dave Mastiff advance inside of the tournament, which is pretty interesting to see. I didn't think he was going to win by knockout. When I first heard the rules, they were like, you know, if they won by knockout, the whole thing will be over. So I didn't think we were able, we were going to be able to see a knockout, but Dave Mastiff ends up knocking out Joseph Connors. Next, we've seen a Jordan Devlin video package. He says he never lost the Cruiserweight Championship, that he owns the real Cruiserweight Championship. And if you want it back, you have to take it from him. And when I heard him talk during this segment, all I could think of was Sami Zayn. When Sami Zayn, you know, had to give up the Intercontinental Championship because of COVID, they walked around and they had interim champions. And then they had a real champion while Sami Zayn never truly lost it. So they're really going with a Sami Zayn angle for Jordan Devlin. But Jordan Devlin will recapture that Cruiserweight Championship from Santos Escobar eventually. It's good to see that now he's back. We've seen Isla Dawn versus Piper Nevins. We see both women battling for control to start the match. Piper ends up taking control. We've seen Isla Dawn mount some offense until she's drop kicks Piper into the ropes and Piper splashes Dawn. Both women end up battling for control once again until Dawn 
hits a meteor from the top rope, then locks on a submission on Piper who breaks out of it. Dawn then sits in the corner, which causes Piper to hit her cannonball, then set up for the Piper driver for the win. So we see a good match between Isla Dawn and Piper Nevins. We know that this match sparked from last week of when all the women came out to talk to, uh, not talk, but to confront Kaylee Ray. And then these two women ended up hitting each other or bumping into each other by accident, which sparked them to fight last week so that's what had this match so we ended up seeing piper nevins pick up the win will we see piper nevins fight kaylee ray again i'm not sure that that women's division is really talented there's a lot of really good women on that roster so it, it's it's up in the air on who kaylee ray will fight next after that we see trent seven he had a video package he says you know he's able to adapt to anything and this old dog can learn new tricks so we know that he's going to fight Kenny Williams in the Heritage Cup tournament because he won his uh, triple threat wildcard match. Now we move on to the main event of the evening, which was Walter and Alexander Wolf versus Elija Dragunov and Pete Dunne. Now, can I say that Pete Dunne looked jacked? He looked so different. I was like, what's so different about him? And he just looked super jacked. He didn't look like that before. So I'm glad to see that now he's, you know, more stronger. He's more better looking than he was before. He looked lazy before and not, not saying like, you know, his wrestling was lazy, but it, the way his body shape was, was lazy. Like he sat on a couch all day. We seen Pete Dunn get the best of Alexander Wolf early. Then Wolf tags in Walter who takes control of Pete Dunn until Pete Dunn changes the tide with his technical prowess. Dunn tags Dragunov. Walter quickly takes advantage of Dragunov. Walter and Dragunov then exchange slaps, but Walter takes advantage again. Dragunov cannot build any momentum. Anytime he tries to build momentum, Walter just shuts it down. Wolf comes into the match and he also dominates Ilya Dragunov. There was a lot of frequent tags between Walter and Wolf. Dunn gets a hot tag. He dominated Walter. Now throughout this match they were having Walter and Pete Dunn go at it. So are we going to see Walter and Pete Dunn go at it again for the UK Championship? Maybe after Ilya Dragunov? Um, I don't know if they're going to have Ilya win or lose but I want him to win. We see Dragunov finally mount some offense. Pete Dunn hits a blind tag on Ilya then hits an X-Plex on Wolf, then runs out and knocks off Walter. After that, Ilja hits a senton from the top rope. Then Pete Dunn covers, but gets a near fall on Wolf. We see Walter then try to hit a splash from the top, but Dunn caught him in an armbar. Then we see Ilya Dragunov come in to try to stop Wolf from breaking it up. Wolf ends up countering his hold and catching a rear choke, while Walter lifts up Pete Dunn, who still has him in an armbar, powerbomb him onto Ilya Dragunov, who is being held by Wolf. Now, I thought this match from start to middle was phenomenal. I thought this was probably one of the better matches we've seen on NXT UK. We've seen Ilya Dragunov get tagged. He tries to fly on Walter, but Walter swatted him out the air with a chop. Then powerbombs him and goes for the pin, but Dunn ends up breaking it up. We see Walter hit more vicious chops on Dragunov. We see when Walter hit Dragunov with the chop, his body just like caved in. And I was like, Jesus, these are some hard chops. We even seen Walter's handprint on Dragunov. Dragunov's body. Now we head over to the end match where Ilya Dragunov hits a gotch lift on Walter then tries to go for the finish but Wolf stops him. We see Pete Dunn hit Wolf and then snap his fingers. He even throws him into the barricade. Ilya Dragunov goes for Torpedo Moscow but Walter catches him in a sleeper but Ilya Dragunov gets out of it. Then we see Walter chop him from behind and then hit him with his sleeper suplex. Ilya Dragunov then gets up. He ducks under Walter's attack and then hits him with Torpedo 
Torpedo Moscow to pick up the win over Walter. So we see Walter finally get pinned by someone, and that someone is Ilja Dragunov, his number one contender for the NXT UK Championship. This was probably the most phenomenal match that I've seen on NXT UK. One of the best matches in a long time. Uh, you know, they really have good takeovers. We had good takeovers like Blackpool, Blackpool 2. Those were some really good takeovers. But this being a match on the WWE Network was fantastic. And I loved every second of it. NXT UK this week was really good uh, for the simple fact that now we see Dave Massive advancing the Heritage Cup. We see Piper Nevins picked up the win over Isla Dawn. And now we see Pete Dunne and Dragunov pick up the win over Walter and Alexander Wolf. So overall, it was a really good show for the hour that it gave us. Now we move on to NXT. NXT this week kicked off with the Undisputed Era versus Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. It was a number one contenders match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. We've seen Kyle O'Reilly cut a promo. He says everyone thinks that the UE was done. He will be cleared next week, but Cole still has broken ribs. And whoever was behind Cole's attack will pay. Then we've seen Oni and Danny Burch come out. It was a quick technical start for Strong and Oni. Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch were in control. A couple of moments later, the UE changed the tide. The UE was still in control, even through the picture-in-picture. Picture. But when we came back from commercial break, we seen Oni Lorcan make the hot tag to Danny Burke to take control for a while. At the end of the match, we seen Oni Lorcan take out Bobby Fish, leaving Danny and Strong in the ring. Oni gets back up on the apron to receive the tag. They end up putting their tag finisher on Strong. Oni then makes the pin, but Bobby Fish then pulls him off. He also pulls Danny Burch as well out of the ring. Fish then goes back into the ring. Oni tries to attack Fish, but Fish ends up dodging. He pushes Oni Lorcan into his own partner, Danny Burch, knocking him off the apron. When Oni turned around, he ate a fly knee from Roderick Strong, who picks up the win. So we see the UE once again, number one contenders for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Then they have a little stare down with Brizongo, who was watching the match from above. So with the UE winning this match, do we think that they're going to beat Brizongo for those NXT Tag Team Championships? Uh, I hope that they do. Like I said, I, it's no disrespect to Brizongo, but they're not a tag team that I see carrying the NXT brand. I feel like it should be handed over to the UE. They are good, uh, Brizongo, but they just don't give me that wow factor to carry something. And the UE, they've been carrying NXT for a long time since they debuted. So if they take the titles off of Brizongo, I wouldn't be mad. I felt like Imperium should have took the titles off of them and not lost them to Brizongo, but they ended up going with Brizongo anyway. So I don't know what route they're going to take if they throw uh, the titles off of Brizongo and give them to the UE or let the UE still not be the champions once again. After the match, we receive an update from William Regal on the championship status of Finn Balor. He says they're going to give Finn Balor a couple more weeks to see how he heals and what happens after that. So Finn Balor won't be getting stripped of the title just yet, which is really good news because I thought they were going to take him off him and that would have sucked because they did it to Karrion Cross. They If they would have did it to Finn Balor, I would have been highly upset. Uh, after that, there was a video segment from Ember Moon. She says she's home. She says she's glad that she took herself out of the Raw and SmackDown draft so that way she can make herself come back home. She also says she doesn't care who she has to beat. She'll face Io for that title. So in the future, I'm sure we'll see Io Shirai versus Ember Moon for that NXT Women's Championship. After that, the next match on the card was Ashanti Adonis versus Jake Atlas. It was a stalemate early until Adonis showboats and eats a dropkick. Then both men battle for control again. Throughout the match, we've seen them two battle it out, but then we see Wilder Mendoza come out, which distracts Adonis. He then gets rolled up by Atlas, who picks up the win. Then Wilder Mendoza
chose to pull Adonis out of the ring and attack him. But Atlas had a little moment. He was like, should I help him? Should I not help him? But we see Atlas makes the save. Then Escobar comes out and he signals for them to attack. But then we see chairs fly in the ring and we see Isaiah Swerve Scott come in the ring to stop the attack from Legado Del Fantasma. So they're continuing this rivalry with Swerve and Santos Escobar. Are we going to see them have another rematch for that Cruiserweight Championship? Are we going to see Jordan Devlin appear at some point on NXT? We had a backstage segment with Johnny Gargano. Johnny says that Dexter has done nothing to deserve a title match. He also says that Austin Theory opened his mouth and now he'll learn a lesson. So now we pan over back to the ring where we see Austin Theory go against Johnny Gargano. Gargano was in control early. We even heard Johnny really vocal during this match. You know, saying that he's predictable, that he has nothing on him. Austin changes the tide with an elbow to the jaw of Gargano, but that doesn't last long. Both men begin to battle for control. During the break, Gargano gains control until Theory takes it back. So at this point, it was a pretty much a back and forth match. We see Theory go for a super kick, but Johnny Gargano catches it and delivers a super kick of his own. He then picks up a lifeless Theory and gives him a lawn dart, then elbows him to the back of the head to deliver the one final beat to pick up the win. So we see Gargano, you know, teach Austin Theory a little lesson. A couple weeks back, you know, he was telling uh, Theory that if you soften up Damian Priest for him, he'll never forget it. I guess Austin Theory didn't do enough to earn Johnny Gargano's appreciation, which is why he got himself a lesson taught tonight. We had another backstage segment. Raquel Gonzalez says she's the baddest big woman and not Rhea Ripley. She then challenged Rhea Ripley to a match at Halloween Havoc. Then we see Rhea Ripley appear. She accepts and then both women were about to clash until they were stopped by the officials. So we're seeing Rhea Ripley fight another big woman. We've seen her do it with Mercedes Martinez. Now she's going to battle Raquel Gonzalez. I don't know if it's just going to be in a regular match or it's going to be some special stipulation, but it's yet to see what that match will become. We also see Champa. He's looking at the video of last week with him and Kushida. He watches the Velveteen Dream inadvertently hit him. Then he says, you're dead and gets up and walks away. So we're going to see Champa versus Dream at some point. Or, like I said a couple weeks ago, we're going to get a triple threat match between these guys. The next match on the card was Shotzi Blackheart versus Candice LeRae. We had a quick start by Shotzi. LeRae ended up taking control for a bit until Shotzi battled for control once again. We see Shotzi go up to the top rope to hit a senton, but Candice LeRae counters it by putting her knees up. Then she gets a near fall. I think this was a really good back and forth match. We even seen Shotzi Blackheart lock on a unique submission, but Candice LeRae ended up breaking the hold. Shotzi was going up for an outside dive but stops because she sees Candace get out the way. Then we see that Indy Hartwell was the person who helped her move. Then she hands Candace LeRae brass knuckles. When Shotzi Blackheart tries to go to the outside to get Candace LeRae back in the ring, Candace LeRae ends up hitting her with those brass knuckles and pinning her to pick up the win. So we see Indy Hartwell helping Candace LeRae once again. She helped her in the battle royale. She bought Johnny Gargano the new TV and now she helped her win her match against Shotzi Blackheart so she can be the number one contender against Io Shirai. So will Indy Hartwell play a factor in Halloween Havoc's uh, women's titles match? I'm pretty sure she will and we probably will see Candice LeRae as champion at Halloween Havoc. We had a backstage segment with Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. Maverick was pitching ideas for marketing. Uh, He even called him and Killian Dane the furry and the fury. And you can obviously guess 
who's who. The furry being Killian Dane and the Fury being Drake Maverick. He even announces that they have a match tonight against Imperium. So tonight we're going to see Drake Maverick and Killian Dane versus Imperium in a tag match. Next on the card, we've seen Tony Storm versus Aaliyah. Tony Storm had a quick start. She looked really good. She looked fantastic. It's been a while since we've seen her wrestle on TV. Aaliyah had a few seconds of offense, but Tony didn't let that last too long. Tony ends up hitting her finishing move to pick up the win. So this was a pretty quick match. Um, I, I'm interested to see what direction they go with with Tony Storm. I feel like her and Ember Moon needs to clash because they both feel like they deserve a women's championship match, but no one's done nothing yet. Tony Storm was on top of the world before COVID. She was doing a lot better than Ember Moon was. So if anybody deserves a championship first, it's Tony Storm. After that, we've seen Regal talk about Halloween Havoc. Then we see Zia Lee and Boa appear. Zia Lee says she needs a match next week. It's very important. And William Regal says, I'll think about it. And then they just walk away. So I don't know what direction they're going with with Boa and Zia Lee. I don't know what the statement is, like what, what they're going for. But she looked like she was desperate for this match. I don't know if Boa's holding something over her head or maybe she's just more ambitious to wrestle and finally win a match. Next on the card, we see Imperium versus Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. Dane cuts the music before it even begins. We know Killian Dane hates that music. And Drake Maverick's like, you'd even let the whistle part happen. And Dane's just like, I don't want to hear that. Dane starts the match. He's in control. He then smacks Drake Maverick in the match. And then he tosses him onto Fabian Eichner. Maverick goes for the pin, but Fabian Eichner kicks out. And then he loses control for his team. Maverick then gets momentum once again to tag in Dane, who takes control until the tag experience allows Imperium to take Dane down. Killian Dane builds up enough momentum to make the hot tag to Drake Maverick, who comes in swinging. But then Maverick was distracted by Marcel Bartel attacking Killian Dane on the outside. He goes for the dive, but Fabian Eichner catches him. Then he tags in Marcel Bartel to place the finisher on him to pick up the win. So we see Imperium pick up the win over Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. Now I'm glad that they didn't make them lose to this team, not because of anything special, but because Killian Dane and Drake Maverick should not be beating Imperium in a tag match because Imperium has more of that tag experience. Remember, the mat is sacred for these guys, so they shouldn't be losing to the likes of Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. After the match, we see Everrise come out to the ring. They start to attack Maverick, but Killian Dane ends up clotheslining the both of them and tells Maverick, nobody hits you but me. So we're seeing a bond build between Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. I wonder how far that's going to go. I, I hope, I mean, there's nothing to do for Killian Dane and Drake Maverick right now. If they want to keep this tag team going, they can keep it going. It's for comedic purpose. It's basically the team hell no of NXT. That's basically what it is. Now we move on to the main event of the evening. Damian Priest versus Dexter Loomis for the North American Championship. We've seen that Dexter Loomis now has new music. He doesn't have that Stranger Things music anymore. Well, when you kind of think about it, he kind of sort of still does, but it's more different this time. We've seen both men battle for control early. Priest was in control until he taunted Loomis who mounts some offense. Then Priest starts to attack that injured ankle of Loomis to regain control. He was even in control during picture in picture where the fight spilled to the outside where both men battle for control once again. Priest ends up locking on an ankle lock after Loomis kicks out of a flatliner. We see Loomis break out of the ankle lock. He was able to mount some offense. He goes onto the top rope for a senton, but Priest moves. 
Priest regains control only to lose it to Loomis who locks on the Anaconda Vice. But Priest reaches the bottom rope. Then both men fight to the outside. Loomis throws Priest into the ring. But once he climbs back onto the apron, Cameron Grimes hits the cave-in on Dexter Loomis. Priest, who didn't see anything, ends up hitting the South of Heaven on Dexter Loomis to pick up the win. And he still remains your North American champion. He then sees Cameron Grimes enter the ring. Then he goes back. Grimes tries to attack Priest, but Priest hits the reckoning on him. Then, when Priest walks up the ramp, Johnny Gargano hits Priest with a chair from behind. William Regal then comes out. He says, I hope you're having fun. He says, our host of Halloween Havoc has an announcement for the both of you for your matches at Halloween Havoc. And then Shotzi Blackheart says, Candice, Johnny, your matches will be determined by a spin wheel. So, I guess next week they're going to spin the wheel and it's going to determine what stipulations will be Johnny Gargano's North American Championship match against Damian Priest and what Candice LeRae's championship match against Io Shirai would be. It's pretty interesting to see. I didn't really get to see the choices they had on the board, but I guess they'll go more in depth next week. So that covers all of NXT this week. NXT this week was pretty good. Um, it sucks that Shotzi Blackheart won't be getting a championship match at uh, Halloween Havoc against Io Shirai. And it's interesting to see that the UE is back on top for now. And let's see if they can dethrone Breezango. Now this is the part where I'm supposed to talk about AEW Dark. But this week I didn't watch it. It's becoming a lot harder to like watch wrestling coming home from work and taking all the notes and doing all the things. So this week I wasn't able to watch it. So I'm just going to go over the matches and who won the matches. So the first match we supposed to see was Evil Uno versus The Blade versus Kazarian versus Jungle Boy in a fatal four-way. We ended up seeing Jack Perry win that one. The next match was Lee Johnson and Cesar Bononi versus the Lucha Bros. The Lucha Bros picked up the win in that one. We seen Brandon Cutler versus Peter Avalon. It ended in a double DQ. I heard it was a really good match, so I'm going to have to check that out when I get the time. The next match was Matt Seidel versus Sonny Kiss. We seen Matt Seidel pick up the win. Dark Order versus Aaron Swallow, Angel Fashion, and Mbadu. We seen Dark Order pick up the win. It was Dark Order's member 3, 4, and 10. We seen Elena Black versus Red Velvet. Red Velvet ended up picking up the win. We seen Fuego Del Sol versus Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks picked up the win. Ryzen and Max Stardom versus The Gun Club. The Gun Club ended up picking up the win. We seen Darby Allen versus Nick Camarado and Darby Allen ended up picking up the win. Colt Cabana versus Griff Garrison. Colt Cabana was your winner. Kylan King versus Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose pick up the win. Joey Janela versus D3. Joey Janela was the winner. Elijah Dean versus Wardlow. Wardlow had picked up the win and the main event of the evening was Eddie Kingston versus Baron Black where Eddie Kingston picked up the win. Apparently that was a squash match. Um, so basically all we've seen on Dark so far is your main stars pick up the win. None, none of the none of the small stars. You're not going to see someone like Baron Black pick up a win over uh, Eddie Kingston. Um, like I said, sometimes I'm not able to watch wrestling. Sometimes I have to like uh, miss it and then watch another day. It just becomes a lot to watch maybe 15 hours of wrestling a day or maybe less than that. Um, so if I can't watch it, I'll just go over the results with you guys so that way you keep in mind on who's winning these matches. And hopefully me telling you that, like you'd be like, okay, since you know he told me who won, I'm gonna go watch that match. Cause I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go back and watch some of these matches that sound interesting. Other than that, that's dark for this week. And I also want to mention dark used to be an hour. Now it's becoming a two-hour program. So now it's becoming SmackDown time. So if you combined AEW 
with AW Dark. That's four hours worth of wrestling. That's a lot of wrestling. They should have just kept it at that hour show like they had it before, and now is it. Now they're pushing AW Dark for two hours, and that's a lot. Now we move on to AW Dynamite, where we started off with FTR versus Best Friends for the AW Tag Team Titles. And let me get this get this across. This is not a 20-minute brush of greatness with FTR. This is not the 20-minute match. This is a regular 60-minute match. This match had a quick start. Chuck and Cash were even. Cash tags in Dax, who allows Chuck to take control, who then tags in Trent. Trent lost the control due to FTR's great tag team offense. That control lasted quite a while. We've seen Trent then hit a clothesline on Cash, but wasn't able to make the tag due to Cash tagging in Dax, who prevented it. We finally see a Chuck Taylor hot tag who changed the title of the match. And while Chuck Taylor is all hot and everything, Tully Blanchard then finds a way to get involved. He tries to trip up Chuck. Then Chuck gets distracted by trying to attack Tully, which allows FTR to take control. But the momentum shifts once again. Best friends were finally able to build momentum. They also even get a near fall on Dash. Then FTR takes control once again. They hit big moves on Trent, but they get a near fall. So early on, we see a lot of near falls between both teams. We see Dax then take Trent up to the top rope to give him a top rope suplex, but Trent ends up countering it in midair and grabbing the near fall on Dax. FTR then tries to go for the finish, but Chuck hits Cash off the top. Then the best friends hit strong zero, but Cash ends up breaking up the pin, saving the match. We then see Trent kick Cash over the barricade. Then Cash lands near Kip Sabian's arcade, which was shown before the match. We then see Trent attempt to hit Cash, but he moves, and we see Trent crash into that arcade machine we see kip sabian look upset then he looks to penelope ford and tells her go get miro so we know that that vending machine belongs to miro so i'm pretty sure miro is going to be upset that his arcade machine was broken uh ftr didn't take the count out though they try to goodnight express but chuck taylor stops it then we see chuck come in take control dash tries to attack chuck with the tag team belt but he avoids it then dax pushes him to the ropes which led to chuck getting hit with the title to allow FTR to pick up the win. So we see FTR pick up the win using the tag team titles. I don't think they've won a match cleanly yet uh, while defending the titles. It's always some underhanded trick, but that's what FTR character is. They're a heel tag team and they're going to do whatever it takes to win, especially since they're under Tully Blanchard. They're going to do whatever it takes. After the match, we see Miro attack the best friends and then we see Miro and Kip Sabian. They ended up having a match next. So that's where we move on to Kip Sabian and Miro versus Sean Maluda and Lee Johnson. This match wasn't even like a match. It was a squash. We see Miro destroying both men. Then he tags in Kip Sabian who hits a splash from the top and then tags in Miro once again who hits the game over tapping out Sean Maluda. Kip says best friends have gone too far. Then Miro says good friends you break my shit it's game over for you. So in order for us to see a heel Miro we had to break his stuff. So we should have broke his stuff sooner to see a heel Miro and not this Miro we're seeing or we were seeing. And like I said, I still don't think that he should be allowing himself for Kip. I think he should be doing his own thing. The whole best man thing is fine, but I don't think that should really go over for such a long time. After that, they cut to the back where we see Archer beating up Moxley before their match even begins later tonight. So Archer's trying to get the advantage over Moxley. Then we have the world title tournament matchups announced. It will be Pentagon El Cero Miedo versus 
versus Ray Phoenix. So we're having brother versus brother, and I think this is the match to look forward to. We know that they had a little bit of beef, but Eddie Kingston prevented it. But now we're going to see them fight one-on-one -on -one in this tournament. We have Kenny Omega versus Joey Janela, Colt Cabana versus Hangman Adam Page, and Wardlow versus Jungle Boy. So we have some pretty good matches, but I'm going to tell you the result of this tournament. It's going to be Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page in the finals. And if I am wrong, I will be shocked because I feel like this is what they're building up for. If they didn't want to build up for that, they would have put them in the same side of the bracket and they would have fought to see who goes to the finals. But I picture they're going to both be fighting in the finals and one of them is going to be the number one contender. After that, we get an MJF promo. He says he's accomplished more in one year on television than most. He then calls out Chris Jericho, who has one of the best entrances ever. Every time people sing Judas, I get excited. I'm even singing Judas from at home. I can't wait till I see him. Hopefully when I see the show in February live that Chris Jericho is still around at the time and not on tour with Fozzie. We see Sammy finally get his jacket, but he didn't want to put it on. Jericho tells him it was a gift. Put it on. When he does, it's so big on him. It's like a 5X. MJF then compliments Jericho. Then he asks if he can touch Jericho's hair. And then we hear Pride and Powerful say, pause. And I was like, yeah, I kind of agree like pause you trying to touch someone else's hair then jericho allows him to touch the hair and once he does it he says all right mjf now it's time for you to cut the shit what's this announcement you have MJF says, you know, I, I sense a lot of hostility in here, you know, and I, I don't like that. But, since we're on the topic, he says him and Jericho have never fought in the squared circle before, which is very true. We have not seen an MJF versus Chris Jericho match, and I feel like we should get one very soon. We also learned that Jericho hates Animal Planet, because MJF called him a demo god. He says, you know, you're right there next to Animal Planet, and then Jericho's like, I hate Animal Planet, so don't mention Animal Planet around Jericho. MJF, you know, I, I say this a lot about uh, a, a certain amount of guys. MJF is gold on the mic. He's probably one of the best young in-ring promo men there is. He's definitely up there with the Paul Heymans and the CM Punks and even the John Cena's. He's definitely up there as one of the best guys on the mic. MJF then says he wants to join the inner circle. Ortiz then snatches the mic and says they don't want MJF in the inner circle. Chris Jericho says they'll think about it. And then he challenges MJF to a match next week for a steak dinner. Now, I'm not sure if this is a real match. I'm not sure if they're going to have a restaurant or or they're going to be at a restaurant. I'm not sure what direction they're trying to go with this match, but it's for a steak dinner and we see MJF accept it. So next week, look for the steak dinner stipulation match on AEW Dynamite. Next, we see a segment where Tony Schiavone interviews Britt Baker at a spa. He even gets his chest waxed and then they throw a little bit of JR jokes in there and tell him to cover up because his robe opens. Now, for those of you who don't know the JR jokes are JR posts a lot of pictures on Twitter of him like exposing himself and I don't think it's on purpose but you know they're just saying that he's exposing himself too much that they don't want to see what JR has to offer I mean and I, I can understand that I don't want to see that at all but they even threw in a joke in there and I thought that was pretty funny that they played on that the next match on the card was Orange Cassidy versus Cody for the TNT championship Cody's back to blonde and then we see Darby Allen in the stands watching he looks like a young sting just 
sitting up there. So in the beginning, Cody tries to make Orange Cassidy flinch, but that didn't work. Cody then tries to lock up with Orange Cassidy, but he dodges. We knew that uh, Cody was going to try to come in and make Orange Cassidy go hold for hold, but Cassidy said, no, that's not his thing. But we see Cody then slap him and Orange gets serious. He throws his glasses and then we finally see it. Orange Cassidy locks up with Cody. He even ends up winning it. And as soon as he got the better of Cody in that collar elbow tie up, he ends up going back to joking Cassidy, which upsets Cody. So he attacks him. We even see Cassidy got technical with various pin attempts. Both men start to battle for control even through picture in picture. The Dark Order then was at ringside, we learn. Then they get ejected for Silver attempting to hit Cody Rhodes with the title. Cody uses a dirty tactic Arn wasn't happy with. He ends up dragging uh, Orange Cassidy to the ring post and smashing his gonads into the ring post. Uh, Arn Anderson did not like that. Throughout the match, they even announced that Darby Allen will challenge for the TNT Championship at full gear. I don't know why they felt the need to announce that now, but they did. After that, we see Cody try to use the ring post again, but Orange Cassidy counters, then hits a DDT from the top rope to get the near fall. Then he tries his patented Michinoku driver, but gets a near fall. Then he goes for the beach break once again, but the leg gave out because Cody attacked his leg the whole time. Cody ends up locking on to figure four, and Cassidy ends up breaking out of it. Cassidy then gets up to hit the beach break on the apron, and then we hear one minute left. So this match has gone almost a full 20. They're at 19. I didn't expect it to go this long. With one minute left, we've seen Orange Cassidy kick it into high gear. Orange Cassidy goes for the orange punch, but his knee gave out. Then Cody goes for a move, but Cassidy reverses it into a pin, but the time limit expired. So Cody and Orange Cassidy go the full 20 minutes, and I really like that it went the full 20 minutes. I didn't expect that at all. I thought Cody was going to win by like the 10, 15 minute mark, but he didn't. And Orange Cassidy really showed out. He showed that he could do a lot more than be the king of sloth style. He showed that he can wrestle. And I thought this was a really good match. And it was announced that they're going to fight again in two weeks for the same championship. I don't think it would be for anything else, but they're going to fight once again. And I know it's probably going to be another 20 minute match. But when the rematch happens, do we see Orange Cassidy or Cody walk away with that TNT championship? Me personally, I feel like it's time to give Orange Cassidy a title. He had such great matches with Chris Jericho. They had three separate matches. He had a good match with Brody Lee. He deserves it. Give him a championship. Give Orange Cassidy the TNT championship and let him fight Darby Allen at full gear. That That's just my opinion. And if anyone else feels otherwise, you let me know and we can talk about it because I feel like Orange Cassidy has done enough so far in AEW to be a champion and there's no, no, no one can prove me otherwise. We head backstage where we see that Archer is being interviewed. Then out of nowhere, John Moxley attacks. So we have these two guys fighting each other every time they see each other. It's kind of like Orton and Drew McIntyre. Since they're in the same building, they might as well just fight. Then we pan back to the ring. Uh, Matt Hardy is being interviewed. He says he's 100%. Then a video pops up. It shows the mysterious person burning Matt's pictures. Then they show the person and it's Sammy Guevara. He says he's not done with him and he was the one who attacked Hardy. It wasn't Jericho. Sammy Guevara claims he will be the one to end Matt Hardy. After that, they had a lottery drawing for a four-way tag team match that they're trying to have to determine the number one contender for FTR's championship titles. Uh, we've seen all the teams standing out there. Then we see the referees drawing like uh, little little lottery balls. And then we see Private Party get chosen, Silvers and Reynolds, The Butcher and the Blade, and yes, The Young Bucks. So we 
know that this four-way tag will determine the number one contenders. And these are pretty good teams. It's good to see that Silver and Reynolds finally get, you know, a tag team title opportunity, you know, if they win this match. And also the Butcher and the Blade because I feel like they need to be champions one day in his company as well. Uh, we see the Young Bucks get in the face of FTR. They say they're not here to super kick FTR or Tony, so they tell them to relax. But then they end up super kicking the Blade and John Silver. Then a brawl ensues. The Bucks end up being the last team standing after faking out Private Party. So Private Party thought that the Young Bucks were on their side, but they ended up super kicking Private Party anyways. After that, we've seen Big Swole versus Hikaru Shida for the AEW Women's Championship match. We've seen Chain Wrestling to start this match. Both women were going hold for hold, lock for lock. Also announced during this match that Archer's match with John Moxley will now be a no disqualification. We then see Hikaru Shida took control. Then she began to taunt Big Swole, who took control only for a second, till Hikaru Shida hung her on the barricade and used his hair to jump off to land a flying knee. Shida even took control through picture in picture. When they brought it back inside the ring, we seen Big Swole attempt to mount some offense. She brought Hikaru Shida up to the top. She attempted a sunset bomb, but ended up slipping, which caused Hikaru Shida to take advantage once again. And then, out of nowhere, we see Big Swole hit Dirty Dancing. She goes for the pin on Hikaru Shida and gets a near fall. She realizes that she has one more chance at this, so she picks Hikaru Shida up. She does try, well, she tried to attempt Dirty Dancing one more time, but Hikaru Shida ends up countering it into a need to retain the AEW Women's Championship. So now, here, here goes my constructive criticism. I'm still not a fan of Big Swole. This match wasn't entertaining to me at all. This match was pretty much all Hikaru Shida to a, to a point, I guess. But Big Swole still just hasn't done anything to draw me in as a fan. I just I just think she's just not for me. Her, her, her style is just cliche. It's just boring at times. I feel like she truly needs to put on a really good match so that way it can change my mind. But it still hasn't changed my mind. I don't know what it is. I don't know if she's wrestling the wrong people. I Maybe I have to go back and watch a few matches of her before she went to AEW because clearly AEW is not showcasing if she can put on a good match or not, especially to me. If she's putting on a good match to you, let me know because she's not. After this match, we get a Scorpio Sky and Sean Spears video segment. It was just mainly to fuel the rivalry, just stating that Sean Spears and Scorpio Sky have some unfinished business. After that, we seen Kingston, Pentagon, and Ray Phoenix at the commentary desk for uh, John Moxley's match against Lance Archer for the AEW World Championship. We've seen Archer has a new theme. You know, he had the everybody dies. He still has that, but it's like a different tone now and a whole different monologue in the song as well. We've seen John rush to the ring and instantly hit a paradigm shift. He quickly goes for the pin, but gets a near fall. Then he tries to hit the paradigm shift one more time, but Archer fights it off, then takes control on the outside. Archer even held control of the match, even through picture in picture. He even set up two tables on the outside. Archer tries to razor his edge, Mox to the outside, but he avoids it. Then Archer puts him down once again. Archer takes Mox to the apron and was gonna put him through the tables, but Mox clotheslined him into the ring. Mox was unable to start, you know, some offense early, but now we've seen him building up some momentum now. Mox even changed the match with a German suplex. Then we see Mox involve some chairs into the match, which he throws at Archer. He then sets up chairs. He even lifts up Archer, who counters it into a chokeslam. So Mox gets chokeslammed onto the chairs, but Archer gets the near fall. Archer was going to crush Mox's head with the chair, but Mox ends up countering it into an ankle lock, which Archer escapes. Then Mox tries to dive on Archer, but Mox ends up getting hit with a 
trash can. So every time Mox begins to build up some offense, Archer just shuts it down one way or another. We see Archer then trying to mock John Moxley by trying to attempt the paradigm shift off the apron, but Mox counters. Then he hits the paradigm shift on Archer through the tables. Both men then take to the ring where he hits the paradigm shift, but Archer kicks out once again. After he was unable to win via paradigm shift, he locks on the bulldog choke, which Archer escapes. Archer ends up getting up to mount some offense. He does his finisher, then pins Mox, who then reverses it into a roll-up to retain the title. So we've seen Archer lose to John Moxley, and I think this was the wrong direction you should go in. Archer has been portrayed as one of the most dominant big men in this company so far. He comes out every week beating up different guys during his entrance, taking control, and he still can't pick up a win over Moxley to win the championship. I feel like him losing drops his credibility as a dominant big man, and it just puts him at the bottom, and that's where he shouldn't be. If you're building him up, why have him keep losing to Mox? And I just feel like they should have never had Archer lose. They should have had Archer take the title. You didn't have to have him hold it for a year. You could have had him hold it for a couple months and then have John take it back. But no, that's not what they went with. After that, we seen Archer then attack Mox after the match. Kingston orders Ray Phoenix and Pentagon to go help Mox. Then Phoenix hits Archer with a chair who then gets pissed. Then we see Jake the Snake Robert tell Archer, you know what? He's not even worth it. Leave him alone. Eddie Kingston then comes in the ring to help up John. He then begins to praise him. He raises his arm, but then hits a spinning back fist and then puts a sleeper on John Moxley, who then passes out. He then yells, I never tapped. I never submitted. I should be the champion. So we, I feel like they're just going to have Archer uh, do something else and have the title focus on John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. Will we see Eddie Kingston fight for the world championship once again? Maybe at full gear. And I think that's the direction they're going. Do we want to see Eddie Kingston as champion? I mean, he's a good guy. He's great on the mic he has great poise in the ring you know what i'm saying but i just don't feel like you know i want him as a champion right now it should have went to archer but that's what they're gonna do that's the storyline they're going with i have no creative control i can just give my opinions on it but aw this week was really good i feel like the orange cassidy and cody match is going to be phenomenal um in two weeks i feel like that fatal four-way tag team match is going to be a really good match Uh, i hope that the young bucks win it because that's why phil is going to win it i feel like this was built up for them so they can fight FTR. Will they take the titles off FTR? I'm not sure about that, but it's yet to be determined. So now we're going to move on to our final show of the night, SmackDown Live. SmackDown Live kicked off this week with Stephanie and Triple H kicking off SmackDown season premiere. All the superstars were on top of the ramp. Triple H announces the Street Profits, then Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler attack them from behind. Then everyone starts fighting. Lars Sullivan then comes out and destroys everything in his path. Sammy, Apollo, and Shorty G stood their ground until Sami Zayn left and left Apollo and Shorty G to get decimated by Lars Sullivan. Jeff Hardy then gets the best of Lars Sullivan by attacking him from behind and we learn that their match is immediately next. We see Lars Sullivan versus Jeff Hardy. Hardy starts off aggressive but Lars puts his momentum out quickly with a clothesline. We see Hardy then take control after an aerial miss by Lars Sullivan. Jeff Hardy then gives Lars Sullivan a twist of fate but didn't notice as he was climbing 
climbing up to the turnbuckle, Lars Sullivan was already getting back up. Lars then grabs him off the top rope and gives him a freak accent to pick up the win. So we see Jeff Hardy take a loss to Lars Sullivan, who who's now on SmackDown and Jeff Hardy is now on Raw. So I guess he's going to take that loss and move on. But what's next for the freak Lars Sullivan? Apparently they're saying that there's rumors it's going to be him versus Braun Strowman at some point. They're not on the same brand, so I don't really know how that's going to work. After that, we've seen The New Day, their final time on SmackDown together versus Sheamus, Cesaro, and Nakamura. Uh, to start the match off, The New Day, they, they grabbed the mic and they cut a promo. They were reminiscing about the past and how six years ago, all these guys were going to get let go by the company, but they all came together and, you know, had an idea and formed this group. Uh, in 2012, Kofi Kingston says he didn't know if he wanted to wrestle anymore, but then he was approached by Woods and Big E with an idea. And six years later, here they are. So, you know, we see that this is the final time we'll see the New Day in a ring as a trio. I feel like they had a really good run. They will go down as one of the greatest tag teams to ever step in the squared circle. And, you know, kudos to them. They gave us six years of magic, six years of moments, and they've done everything they can. They've outsold merchandise. They had a big following. They didn't have a strong start because they started off as a, as a church group with church choirs and stuff. And then they branched off and did something else. So, you know, congratulations to the New Day on a strong six years. And, you know, I wish them the best in their future endeavors. But now it's time for them to do their own thing and it's time for Big E to step up and be a champion. So, we're going to enjoy this last match. We've seen a quick start by Xavier Woods and Shinsuke Nakamura. Corey Graves mentioned that it's been a year since the New Day had their last trios match. And it looks like they haven't lost a step since, since that whole year ago. So, we see New Day in control for most of the match. The Bar Trio then takes control late match. And I call them the Bar Trio because it's Cesaro and Sheamus and then it's Cesaro and Nakamura, which Nakamura and Cesaro is supposed to be the Bar 2.0. Well, so they say. But we see Cesaro and Nakamura hit their tag finisher on Kofi. Then Cesaro does one with Sheamus. Then they go for the pin, but Big E breaks it up. Big E hits the big ending on Cesaro. Then Nakamura drops E, who then gets drop kicked by Xavier Woods. Sheamus then takes out Woods. He then ends up taunting Kofi Kingston which cost him. Kofi headbutts him then tags in Woods who tags in Big E to put their finisher to win the match. And at the end of the match it was an emotional moment. Xavier Woods, Big E and uh, Kofi Kingston they all shared tears and they all realized like this is their final time. They'll be in a ring together. Even though they're pretty much be in the same building because of you know COVID right now they'll be in the same building but they know once they start going on the road and stuff they won't really be together that much anymore. So it's a sad moment and if you didn't shed a tear you're a monster. After that we had a backstage segment with Otis. He was being interviewed. He says how does it feel to not have Tucker and Mandy and he was just like it feels bad you know I need my partner and then Sami Zayn interrupts then he begins to insult Otis and Otis had enough and he shoved him. So are we going to see a different side of Otis because his partner Tucker and his girlfriend Mandy Rhodes is now in a different brand? It's yet to see like he's still holding that money in the bank. I wonder what they're going to do with that. They probably still haven't figured out how to go about that but eventually I'm sure they will. We had a Daniel Bryan in-ring promo. We see Daniel Bryan for the first time back in four months. He's making his debut inside of the Thunderdome. He talks about the new roster and who he wants to wrestle. Then Seth Rollins comes out and says he mentioned everyone but him. He asks Bryan which side does he want to
want to be on. He's either with me or against me. You know, he, he threw in a little nexus there. Daniel Bryan then says, Rollins' vision is dumb. Then Rollins attacks Bryan. Bryan then builds up some momentum, but Rollins retreats. Then the Mysterio family comes out. Rollins tries to have Daniel Bryan join his side, but Daniel Bryan then leaves Seth Rollins all by himself. Then we hear Buddy Murphy's music play, and he slides into the ring looking as if he was going to join Seth Rollins, but then attacks him. After Seth Rollins runs off, Buddy extends the hand to the Mysterio family, but they refuse to shake his hand, and he leaves. So, we know that the Mysterio family and Buddy have history. I guess Buddy's trying to rekindle with them just because of uh, Rey Mysterio's daughter, Aaliyah. He's been trying to get on his good side. I don't know if they're still going with the Aaliyah-Buddy Murphy angle, but I, I hope it's done. I hope, you know, now we just get to see Seth Rollins versus Buddy Murphy. Ex-Disciple versus Messiah. After that, we've seen Street Profits versus Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. It was a quick start to the match, but as quickly as the match started, the match quickly ended in DQ because Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler broke the five count rule. Then they began to attack the Street Profits until they were taken out by Montez Ford, who hit a beautiful crossbody from the top rope. Now I ask, what was the point? Did you really have to go about this match? Like, I don't think you had to waste the time and have Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode get disqualified within the first 30 seconds. There was no point in showing this match, but they did anyway. I thought it was dumb. And now they're probably going to have another rematch next week on SmackDown. Probably a no DQ. You already know how these storylines go. After that, we had a Hell in a Cell contract signing between Bailey and Sasha Banks. Sasha says she's been waiting for this moment for a long time. Bailey agrees and says she can't wait to get rid of Sasha so she can continue her reign all by herself. Sasha disagrees. She says, you did it all by yourself? Is that what you want to tell me? Look me in my eyes and tell me you've done it by yourself. Bailey says Sasha has been waiting to turn her back on her, but she did it first, which is why Sasha's mad. And I mean, to an extent, maybe that's why Sasha's mad. Sasha's always betrayed Bailey, and Bailey's never really betrayed Sasha that much until now. So they've been pretty much going back and forth with this friendship. But I don't really think that Sasha's mad that she got, you know, Bailey got to her first. Maybe she truly just wants to be her friend this time. Sasha tells Bailey that her name is bigger than Bailey's SmackDown Championship. And she tells Bailey sign the contract, but Bailey refuses and she slides out the ring. So I guess we'll see Bailey sign the contract one one of these days. Sasha Banks also said she'll make her sign the contract one way or another. So probably she's going to force her to sign it with her blood or something like that. You know, some cliche stuff. After that, we move on to the main event of the evening. Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. At the beginning of the match, we've seen Keith Lee and Goldberg in the virtual crowd. We know Keith Lee has a match with Braun Strowman this coming Monday on Raw. And Goldberg, he's probably going to try to come out his little retirement bubble and fight Roman Reigns for the championship. But in the beginning, we see both men lock up and Roman Reigns overpowers Braun Strowman. He then gives him a Superman punch to toss him to the outside. Roman Reigns was in control until Strowman builds some momentum. Strowman had a little bit of offense. He even hit a running power slam after catching Roman from a Superman punch. Braun attempts to pin Roman Reigns, but Roman Reigns ends up hitting him with a low blow while he breaks out of the pin. The same way he did to Jay Uso, he ends up using that arm to reach over to hit a low blow. As soon as uh, Braun Strowman gets up, Roman Reigns locks on the guillotine choke. Braun Strowman tries to fight it off, and he just couldn't. Roman Reigns ends up tapping out Braun Strowman to retain the Universal Championship. Now, does this take away credibility from the monster among men getting choked? 
choked out by Roman Reigns? Does this like lower his stock value? I think it just like turns Braun Strowman into a little punk. He got tapped out by Roman Reigns. Yeah, Roman Reigns is really strong, but he's not supposed to be tapping out. He's the monster among men. So now what mindset does this bring into the Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman match? Keith Lee is probably going to look at him like, yeah, you got choked out. You tapped out. I ain't never going to do that. So what, what does this do to Braun Strowman's career as a big man? Then we hear Jay Uso's music play. He comes out. Roman sees Braun getting up, so he spears him one more time. Heyman then hands Roman Reigns a chair. Then Roman just blasts Braun Strowman with it several times. Roman tells Jay, if he can do this to him, imagine what I can do to you. Jay finally steps into the ring. Roman drops the chair and says, I will never hurt you. I love you. And then slides Jay the chair and tells him to hit him. Take my place at the head of the table. Then he turns his back on him. Jay Uso then drops the chair. He looks at Roman and then punches him and super kicks Roman. He then picks up the chair and says, you want this? Then strikes Roman with the chair several times, screaming, I love you. Then the officials step in. They stop Jay Uso. But Roman Reigns ends up getting up and hitting Jay Uso with a Superman punch and then walks off. This is fantastic storytelling. I love every second of the story. Like Jay Uso just smashing with that chair and just screaming, I love you. Just brings so much energy to this storyline. Roman Reigns just, when, when it comes to his family, he gets so weak and vulnerable. But then when it comes to someone else, he's this tribal chief, the head of the table, this guy. And I think this is phenomenal storytelling. And I wonder if they're writing this story on their own or maybe Paul Heyman is because this story is just really good. And if it goes on for a while, I won't be mad at it because they're telling it perfectly. And like I said, heel Roman has been one of the best things to come out of SmackDown. And I think Jay Uso getting this push is fantastic because it shows a performer that he is on and off the microphone. So I just can't wait till hell in a cell for this match. I think it's going to be the match at night. Like I said, the storytelling is phenomenal. So that ends SmackDown. Uh, takeaways from SmackDown, you know, where where Lies Sullivan is going to go. What direction are they going to go with him? What happens to Braun Strowman over on Raw now that he's tapped out to Roman Reigns? Well, you know, what happens next for Roman and Jay? What's next in the storyline? Are we going to see Jimmy get involved like he did at Clash of Champions? What What's next for SmackDown superstars? Also, who's next on the tag team titles list? Is Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler going to get a rematch or are we going to see someone else step up and take those titles from Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins? So, you know, uh, overall wrestling this week was pretty good. I'm sorry that I couldn't watch Dark. Like I said, I've been going through a lot of things that, you know, didn't allow me to watch it. But maybe next week I'll try to cover it or I'll try to cover cover like the smaller shows in a different segment uh, because, you know, with work and everything, it's becoming a lot to bunch together, as I stated. But we've been doing really well. A lot of people have been downloading. We are at 300 uh, downloads. And I feel like, you know, we're going places that I didn't think we were going to go. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who's still watching, who's still listening. I appreciate everything. Also, like I said, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling From or on Facebook at Ray Colazzo. So thank you for listening. This has been Wrestling From the Crowd. This is episode seven. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are.